morning, Solace Church. We are so thankful that you're here today. If you're a guest visiting with us, thank you for being here. We are in week five of our series called Life After Life. And in this series, we've been talking about what it looks like to leave this world and experience the world to come. And uh, I'll catch you up in just a minute if you haven't been a part of our services or if you've missed, by the way, if you've missed any of our services, I'll catch you up in just a moment so that we can all take another step forward today. Uh, but before we do that, uh, as usual, we want to welcome those watching online at solacechurch.com. Uh, thank you for being a part of our online community. We're going to say this more often for those of you who are watching online. We, we believe that, uh, that uh, the online experience is no replacement for being here at Solace Church locally. And so I can't wait to see you on campus very soon at one of our services. But for whatever reason that you are away today, thank you for tuning in this morning. Let's uh, continue to talk about life after life. Let's take another step forward today as we learn more about what life looks like beyond this world. And for those of you who haven't been with us, this is what we've been talking about. We've been talking about this reality that there is a 1.0 version of us, and that's the current version of us right now. You are in 1.0 version of you. God created you. You live in a physical world. You live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is a, a, a veiled look at what God originally designed for us to enjoy. Our 1.0 version is broken, and God has, through Jesus, made a way for us to be restored. And we've talked about, so far, the 2.0 version in this series, Life After Life. It's called the intermediate state. When you leave this world, you enter into the intermediate state, this period of time where there is a waiting period for the eventual return of Christ. And in this period of time, uh, when you leave this world, you either go to one of two places. You either go to a place called paradise, which is, uh, which is a, a place of perfection, a place without sin, in the presence of God, or you go to a place called Hades. We translate that into English hell, and hell is a place of torment, a place of agony. Now, I know that that is not popular to talk about today because I think, you know, in our world of you get a trophy for just participating, that we all like to believe that everything's going to work out okay. But the truth is, it's not. There's a very real reality. And you will either spend your time in a place called paradise waiting on the eventual return of Christ or a place called hell, Hades. And there is one factor that determines that. And we'll revisit that again today as we move on to talk about the 3.0 status. The the deciding factor is what you've done with Jesus in your 1.0 status. What you have done with Jesus while you are here on this earth. And so we've been talking about the intermediate state. And I know that the intermediate state has raised a lot of questions for, for many of you. You've asked those questions to me. We've talked about quite a bit of them. Will I really experience a whole range of emotions? Will, will I be able to cry in this intermediate state? Will I be able to remember in this intermediate state? We've answered many of those questions. And by the way, you can always go back online and check them out on our website at solacechurch.com if you missed a message. Today, and for the next couple of weeks... We're going to answer more questions for you. I'm going to show you uh, in Scripture specifically what version 3.0 looks like. Actually, today we are done with talking about the intermediate state 2.0, and we are taking a big step forward to talk about 3.0. So everything you hear in this series in Life After Life from from today forward is, is going to be talking about the time when Jesus returns in his second coming. From this point forward, everything we talk about is going to focus on the final resurrected state 
of every single person. And I'll explain to you more about what that looks like in just a couple of minutes. So this is where we're going in the story. Now, I've been recognizing recommending several different books for you uh, over the weeks. I've recommended uh, Randy Alcorn's book called Heaven. I've recommended John Burke's book, Imagine Heaven. I've recommended Steve Gregg's book, uh, Revelation, The Four Parallel Views. Many of you have picked those up. One individual sent me a picture of two of those three books and they've started reading that and that's great. I want to encourage you to continue to do that. There's one book that I also want to recommend today that I haven't recommended to you and it's called The Bible. And this book is the authority on all things related to 3.0. The reason why we've spent some time in several other books related to the 2.0, the intermediate state, is because the Bible is, is somewhat silent. It gives us some description, but we've used some other, uh, other resources to allow us to fill in maybe some of the gaps or at least to explore beyond what Scripture says, but not compromising Scripture itself. Today, we're going to look at Scripture. We're going to study in Revelation chapter 20 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and a couple of other places as well. Now, I've got my work cut out for me today. I know this, and I'm going to have to give you a whole lot of information, so I hope you're, you're, you're tuned in this morning because what you're about to experience is a whole lot of information, critical information, about something we call Judgment Day. <clears throat> if you want to write things down and set the, temple, uh, set the tempo of the day, today is about judgment, the day of judgment. It is about the moment in time that we stand before God and we, we give an account of our lives. Now, I recognize that thinking about the day of judgment might be difficult for, for many of us in the room. It certainly is for me, and if it isn't, then I bet it will be a little more difficult before the day is over. But I also recognize there may be some in the room who are watching online that might be skeptical about the idea of standing before our Creator and giving account of our lives. If you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you're skeptical about the fact that you might have to stand before God and give an account of your life, because either you don't believe that there is a God who created the world, or for some other reason. Let me just say this. What we're going to talk about today, there is no middle ground or middle room. And what I mean by that is, either what I'm telling you today is true, and it ought to to cause us all to pause and consider if we're ready for the day when we stand before God, Or it is blatantly false and you should entirely reject the whole idea of accountability and live however you want. Now I am convinced that it's true that there is a creator and that we will stand before God and give an account of our lives. And if that's the case, it matters how we live now. We're going to see that as as this unfolds in the text. Now... I want to I take you to a couple different thoughts for a moment. When we talk about the day of judgment, there's really two different types of judgments that's going to take place um, it, uh, on the day called the day of judgment. Now, there's some discussion about exactly chronologically when these events will take place. But there's really no discussion in terms of Christianity as to whether or not these events will take place. When, we're not sure. Uh, but if they will take place is not the question. They will take place. Two judgments, the white throne judgment, which we'll talk about today, and the Bema seat, or Bema seat, depending on how you want to pronounce that. The idea of Bema, this word Bema comes directly from the Greek language. It is, it is transliterated, or it is brought over letter for letter from the Greek language, and so the translation in Greek would be Bema. In English, sometimes people pr- pronounce this Bema, if you're looking online for that information. All right, so let's talk about these for just a minute. Let's talk, first of all, about the white throne judgment as we set the context for what the day of accountability or the day of judgment is going to look like for all of us. Here's a reality, newsflash, you ready? You're going to die. And if you don't die and Jesus comes back, you're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to be changed. Paul says it this way, when Jesus comes back, the dead are going to be raised first. And then anyone left on the planet, uh, 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 when he returns, 
They're going to be changed. They're going to be transformed. In either case, when Jesus comes back, every single person that has ever existed will be transformed. They will be changed into this 3.0 version of ourselves. There will be a transference of who we are to who we will be. That is going to happen. What day is that going to happen? I don't know. When is that going to happen? I'm not sure, but it's going to happen. And when that happens, one of the events that will take place after that is this white throne judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, if you're looking in your Bibles, it's a great place to look. About halfway through the chapter, we're going to look at the events of the white throne judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, the millennial years are over. The thousand year reign of Christ, whether that's literal on this earth or whether that means that he's reigning right now. We've talked all about that. But whatever the case, when that comes to an end and there's a huge rebellion against God, God is going to defeat and conquer his enemies once and for all. Satan and the beast, whoever the beast is, is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And they are going to be tormented day and night forever. That is the context just previous to this event that we're going to be talking about that relates to you and and to me. So Satan is no longer able to tempt, to accuse, to cause chaos. Those days are over. Now we stand before God and we give an account of our lives. Now this comes from Revelation chapter 20. And I want you to look with me, starting in verse number 11. This is the New International Version. This is what John says he saw coming in the future. Then I saw a great white throne And him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. Here's what John is seeing. John is seeing someone powerful, majestic, and who is in authority sitting on a throne. And earth and sky are fleeing from his presence. In other words, 1.0 is fleeing away. All authorities and powers and dominions that exist on this earth will not stand on the day of judgment. There is one authority, and it's him who sits on the throne. On the throne, this man sits, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Tune in, church. The book of life. This is not the first time it's mentioned in the book of Revelation. It's mentioned several other times, but this is the moment of clarity in terms of the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, I want you to notice before we go on, there are Two different sets of books. There's the book of life, and then there are other books that were opened. We'll talk about both sets of books. In verse number 13, John continues the vision. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Again, some explanation will come in just a moment. Verse 15. If you're underlining anything in Scripture, or if you highlight in your Bibles, or if you star, or anything like that, this would be a great place in Scripture to focus. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let me say that again for emphasis. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. All right, so... These are the verses John records for us that speak about the great white throne judgment. Let's talk about them for just a moment. John says that he saw sitting on a throne him. Now, 
this is left to interpretation. We're not exactly sure if this is the father who is sitting on the throne or the son who is sitting on the throne. Many, many commentators suggest that it is Jesus who's sitting on this throne based on Jesus' own words in Matthew 25 when he says when the Son of Man comes and he sits on his throne, then he will separate the sheep and the goats. And you guys know we don't want to be goats. So it's likely that this is Jesus sitting on the throne and he is about to judge. Now Jesus has received his authority to judge from the Father. Jesus has come and he's given his life. He's paid the ultimate ransom and sacrifice for our sins. And he sits on the throne and he's about to judge all of humanity. What's going to happen on that day? We will all stand before God and give an account of our lives. This is not group accountability. This is individual accountability. You don't get to stand beside your mommy who was a saint or a daddy who was a saint and say, I'll borrow his saint, saintiness. I will stand before God on my own and give an account of my own life. What will take place? Books will be opened. I read one commentary. It was a powerful thought that suggested that one of the jobs that God has delegated to the multitude of angels that exist in his presence is to record every thought, every word spoken, every deed done for every person in humanity. The books are recording some stuff about your life and mine. It ought to be very, very sobering to think about everything that I do in the course of a day, in a week, in a year, in a lifetime. It's being written down somewhere and one day we'll stand before God and we'll review that. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 12 and also in Matthew 10 talks about that. And he says, there is nothing that is hidden that will not be revealed openly. There is nothing concealed that will not be made known. And Jesus would go on to say in Luke chapter 12 that what is said in the darkness will be spoken in the light. There's a couple of verses in scripture that really make me uncomfortable. That's a couple of them. Every thought, every act, every deed, everyone you thought you got away with, everyone you haven't confessed to someone else, every single one of them, Yep. All. When I was in Sunday school, my Sunday school teacher taught me a song. Oh, be careful, little eyes, of what you see. Anybody? Thank you for the three of you who knew that. That's great. (laughs) For the Father up above is looking down with tender love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see, and be careful, little ears, what you hear, and be careful, little feet, where you go. And the books are going to be opened. We'll talk more about that in just a couple of minutes about what that looks like for the Christian. But on this day of accountability, on this day of judgment, there is one book that's going to be open that's critical and everyone needs to understand this. It's called the book of life. And on this day we stand before him who is on the throne. The book of life will be opened. And this book makes all the difference for John records for us that on that day of accountability that that book will be opened and those names that are in the book of life have a certain status and those names who are not in the book of life also have a certain status. What does John say? If you're writing things down, write this down. This is so important. Write these words down. If my name is in the book of life, I will receive the inheritance of heaven. 
This is what the book of life is all about. It is those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus for salvation. It is those who have repented of their sins and confessed Jesus as Lord who are saved. Those those are called God's children. Those are called saints. Those are those who will receive the inheritance of heaven. Now, from this point after today, from this point forward in the series, we're going to talk all about heaven. Today's the last time we're going to talk about Hades, the lake of fire. All from this point forward is about heaven. For two straight weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to walk with Jesus in our 3.0 version, all right? But also in Scripture, we see this. If my name is not in the book of life, I will receive the punishment of the second death. It could not be more clear in this passage of Scripture. Those whose names are not in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. What is that? You don't want to know. What is the lake of fire? You don't want to experience it. Where will you be cast if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life? You don't want to know. Jesus made a way for every single person to be included in the book of life. That's why he came to this earth. That's why he died on the cross. This is not a small matter. This is not an insignificant matter. This is not a matter in which you can be neutral or agnostic. It matters significantly on the day of judgment. If you don't know him, he can be known. He has made himself known to the nations. And for those who would repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they would be saved. Their name would be etched into the book of life. My name is there. I received Jesus when I was about five or six. My name is in that book. I can't wait for that day. It's not a day that's scary for me. It's a day of great celebration. For he will read Matthew Riley Blair. My son Graham thought that my name was Matt Matthew Blair. I said, son, that's not my name. Matthew Riley Blair. I want to give you just some perspective for a moment about the second death because there's lots of controversy surrounding this and this might be a bit controversial, but let me spend just a couple of minutes helping you understand what this looks like. Notice in Scripture, there are two views of death. Notice in Scripture that, that death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. The intermediate 2.0 state is now thrown into the 3.0 state. The 2.0 state no longer exists when Jesus returns and the day of judgment takes place. 2.0 is thrown into 3.0. Hades and death are now cast into a place called the lake of fire. When we talk about hell, we actually aren't talking about someone's permanent location. We are talking about a temporary state. The lake of fire is the permanent location. For those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, there's a couple of different views about what it means to be thrown in the lake of fire. I want to give them to you and then talk about them for just a moment. There's the state of eternal conscious torment. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then also I want you just to consider the idea of annihilation. Now I know this idea of annihilation, for those of you who study theology and are studying you know, uh, different church uh, denominations and even cults, you would probably acknowledge that the Seventh-day Adventists have embraced annihilationism and it's for many, many years considered something that is outside the bounds of Scripture. But there's an interesting resurgence in the idea of annihilationism. Now, for a couple of minutes, I want to help you understand this picture. This is important. In either case, whichever of these is true, you, did I already say this, don't want to go. Okay, just want to make sure we're clear on that. Some would suggest that this lake of fire is an eternal conscious state of torment, that the soul of man will never die, that he exists 
as an eternal being, or at least sustained by God as an eternal being, and he will exist forever in a conscious state of torment, never to be relieved from that conscious state of agony and torment. Whether it is outer darkness and separation from God or some kind of literal physical sense of burning, this is is a conscious state of torment that will exist forever and ever and ever. Now, there's a couple of great passages of Scripture. You can look in Revelation 20, just previous to verse, verse 11 and verse 10, and you see that Satan and the beast are thrown into the lake of fire, and they will be tormented day and night forever. It seems to indicate eternal conscious torment. In Revelation 14 and many other places, several other places in Scripture, we see this idea in Daniel as well. We see this idea of it being eternal and conscious and torment. Daniel says some are going to be raised to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt. And so several people, many commentators and theologians would tell you, and many people in the church would tell you, this is going to be a conscious state of torment. There are others in the church that would say that this is actually a place of annihilationism. If you want to look this word up, conditional immortality, feel free to do that on your own time. But basically this idea of annihilationism suggests that that the 3.0 version of those who are not in Christ is not eternal. In other words, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The punishment is not eternal life, but the gift is eternal life. And so some in the church would suggest that, they, that once someone is thrown into the lake of fire, that they will be extinguished or annihilated, that they will cease to exist. It's interesting that in Genesis chapter 3, if you want to research this on your own time, one of the first thing God says about Adam and Eve when they sin after they sin, he pronounces judgment on them, a curse, the, that work will be hard and difficult and that you will return to dust and that for a woman that childbearing will be hard and that a man will rule over you. That's where it came from if you're wondering. After that, God in his grace clothes Adam and Eve. He wraps them in a, in a covering. He has just killed an animal. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of what God is going to do through Jesus. But he covers them with grace, covers them up in their nakedness. And then he pronounces these words. He says, you're banished from the Garden of Eden. And you're banished from the way to the tree of life. And he says, he looks around heaven, I guess. And he says, we have to guard the way to the tree of life so that man will not eat of it and live forever. God's first statement about man's condition of sin is that he could not live in a state of sin forever. And so some would argue that, uh, that, that God would not allow man to exist forever in a conscious state of torment, that that's beyond God's even sense of holiness and justice. Jesus himself says, don't fear the one who can destroy the body that is in the 1.0 version. Fear the one that can st- destroy both the body and the soul in hell. So, Which one is true? I don't know. Will you be annihilated and cease to exist in hell? Or in the lake of fire when when you're thrown into that? Or will you exist forever in a conscious state of torment? I don't know, but either is terrible. And I know some in the church would say, no, 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 you can't take away eternal conscious torment because you've got to scare people into heaven. I'm like, I don't need to scare people into heaven. Jesus gave us a way better option. Live forever with him. That's a way better option. And so in either case, you don't want that, but you do want the free gift Jesus gave to you. It's called salvation and eternal life in him forever. 
You know, the tree of life, which was in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2, was now removed from the garden in in Scripture. And we'll see this so clearly in the weeks to come. Now, before the throne of God, there are trees that line the river that comes from the throne of God. And these trees bear fruit every month, and they are for the healing of the nations. They are what we eat of and live forever. You want that, my friend? That's where it's at. So this is the picture of the great white throne judgment. There'll be a day of separation. If your name's in the book, you make it into the internal inheritance of heaven if your name is not in the book you will be cast into the lake of fire it is the destiny of those who are without christ and that's the first judgment let me tell you the second judgment after this final separation occurs this separation of those who are sheep and goats or those who are outside of christ and inside of christ once that takes place there's another judgment to come for everyone who is in christ you get two judgments If you are with Jesus, not just one. The second judgment that we see is called the Bema Seed or Bema Seed. And this is an interesting judgment as well. Now, there's several places of scripture that talk about the Bema Seed judgment. And I hope everyone who is a Christian tunes into this closely. This is your reality to come. This is my reality to come. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul gives us a picture of that day of judgment, that Bema Seed judgment. As a matter of fact, the word Bema comes from this very text of scripture. This is what Paul says. So we make it our goal to please him. Can I just say that one more time? So we make it our goal to please him. That is, in our 1.0 version, this is our effort. This is our pursuit to please him. Whether, at, whether we are at home in the body or even away from it. Notice what Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This phrase, the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment seat, bematos, is where we get our word bema. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is a different judgment than the great white throne judgment. This is a judgment for the saints, for those who are believers. You and I will stand before God and we will give an account of our lives. Whatever is good or bad, we'll be held accountable for that. So the Bema seat of Christ is this judgment seat. Now, what is it going to look like? What is that going to actually be like? I think, again, in a very real sense that we will not be in some kind of group accountability structure so that the whole church is held accountable for how the church conducted itself. But rather that you and I will stand before God individually before Jesus himself and we will have an opportunity, again, we've talked about this briefly in the intermediate state, but to have a life review, an opportunity to see how our life mattered in the context of how we lived it uh, both the good things that we've done and the, and the bad things that we've done, and to see the effects of that. Now, I know this is also going to be controversial, but hey, since we're all covering this controversial stuff, why not throw one more thing in, right? I know this is somewhat controversial in the church, but what Scripture, I believe, teaches is that on the day of the Bema Seat judgment, that that judgment will dictate the kinds of rewards we will receive based on the stewardship that we have uh, handled here on this earth. How we handle everything that's entrusted to us here matters for all of eternity. I know that a lot of people in the church think, if I can just kind of make it into heaven, right? If I can just, you know, if I can just pass that, judge, that white throne thing and make it into heaven, I don't care if I'm a janitor or sweeping the floors in heaven. I don't care how big my shack is. I don't matter. All that kind of stuff. I would say bull to that theology, 
what is clear in Scripture is that what we do here is going to determine a level of reward and even a level of authority in heaven. Now, you're going to see this unpacked in some detail as we move forward in this series, okay? But, but what is clear is that there is a reward day coming. What will those rewards look like? I don't know. I don't know. Scripture is fairly silent on the specific ways in which we will be rewarded. But what matters is that we steward well here as faithful stewards. Therefore, we are rewarded there on that day. Now, uh, you don't have to turn there, but I want to just give you a passage of Scripture. You can look it up later. 1 Corinthians 3 is a great passage of Scripture to look at. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is writing to the church about the Bema seat. This is important to, to hear. Paul says about the Bema seat that, that he, Paul, has been an expert builder. That, that he is built on the foundation that Jesus gave him. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation of Christianity. Paul has been building on that foundation. And each of us have an opportunity to also build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. That is to say, everything you do as a Christian after salvation is adding to or taking away what God is doing in terms of his kingdom coming into this world. Everything you do is lived out in the context of either adding to the incredible picture of God's grace and unconditional love through Jesus, or it is taking away from that by doing things contrary to what God would have for us. Does that make sense? You're either adding to or taking away. And this is the way Paul says it. Every single thought, deed, word spoken, every single thing you do or fail to do is adding to a structure that you're going to present to Jesus on the Bama Seat Day of Judgment. I want you to think for a moment. (laughs) You're building a structure right now by everything you say and everything you do. And you get to present this structure before Jesus. Now, here's what, here's what Paul says. Paul says. Paul says every single action, every single word, every single deed, it is adding one of two things uh, to, this, to this structure. It's either adding materials of hay or straw that can be burned up or materials like brick or, or metal or some strong substance that will stand up underneath the weight of fire. It's either or. And, you're gonna, and, and, and as you live this life, you're adding to this structure Jesus is the foundation. Paul was an expert builder as he built and and, and developed the the church early on in its existence. We are continuing that process and we're building a structure as well. Now, we're going to go, here you go, Jesus. And Paul says that the day of judgment will look like this. That Jesus will set fire to that structure. Now, is that literal or figurative? I don't know. It just simply means you're going to be held accountable for that. Is there really a lighter in heaven? I don't know. But we'll be held accountable for that moment. And this is what Paul says. If the structure remains, we will receive a reward based on that stewardship. If the structure does not remain and it is burnt up, that we will suffer loss. We will not lose salvation that's secure in jesus that's the great white throne judgment we will suffer loss in other words we will have to present a structure that didn't stand but we will escape the fire we will escape destruction but only as one escaping from the fire in other words the bama seat has nothing to do with your salvation once you are in jesus you are secure in him in that relationship what this is talking about is what takes place for the rest of your eternity in terms of the rewards and places of authority that Christ will delegate on that day. Fascinating question, isn't it? 
What kind of structure are you building? What kind of structure will you and I present before him? So this is the Bema seat judgment. These are the two seats. These are the two judgments that the Christian will face. Which got me to thinking, how am I doing? I love what Paul says elsewhere in Scripture. It's required that a man who's been given a trust be found faithful. What does that mean? It means everything that's been entrusted to you, every dollar, every relationship, every conversation, every opportunity, every ministry, every single one of those, it is required that we be found faithful as stewards. Why? Christian, if I could encourage you in one way today, beyond what I've already said, I know that we are forgiven in Christ. I know that God doesn't count our sins against us anymore. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. When you stand before the Bema seat of judgment, it is not going to be a judgment of condemnation. You don't have to worry about that. We are freed from condemnation. What matters, though, is not just simply trying to skirt in and attach yourself deeply to this world. What matters is is you recognize that your ultimate destination, your 3.0 forever, is with Christ. Let's live in light of that as opposed to holding on to things that hold us back here. Come on, Christian. Let's get our eyes focused on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we don't get bogged down in this world and lose sight of what's coming. There's a great white throne judgment coming, and for those whose names are written in it, they make heaven. For those who are not, they make a very real lake of fire. And there's a day coming when we stand before Jesus and give an account of our lives. Are you ready? I'm going to take just a moment because if all that I've just given you today is true, this may be the most important message you've ever heard in your life. So I want to take just a moment today to spend just in prayer and contemplation about our own personal existence. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.